This is a shock podcast. Hello friends and welcome to the Podball Sportscast, the podcast that likes to be under the sea in an octopus's garden. I thought you all never thought it to a Beatles reference. <laughs> Much to the non-delight of my colleagues who are all Manchester United fans, uh, first up we have Steve, we have uh, Nicholas John. <laughs> hello, hello. Karami Kamil. What's happening guys? And Mifzal Malik. Yo! Yep, they are... Three of the Fab Four, not as fab as me because I support Liverpool. Speaking of which, we have a very special guest uh, today, a world-renowned footballer who's uh, played for the greatest team in the world, and also Real Madrid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's won the FA Cup and League Cup with uh, Liverpool during his time at Real Madrid. He won uh, two La Liga titles, uh, two Champions League medals as well. He's also had a couple of seasons with uh, Manchester City before hanging up his illustrious boots. Um, You can have a meet and greet session with him today and tomorrow. I tell you, it's going to be awesome. And if you're listening to us in the future, it was freaking awesome. Why didn't you go? (laughs) Please give a warm welcome to Steve McManaman. How are you, boys? Okay? I'm good. How are you, Steve? I'm very, very good. Nice to be here, of course. Yeah. I always love coming back to Kuala Lumpur, so um, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, it must be a huge change from uh, rainy Britain to uh, rainy Malaysia (laughs) now. That's why I'm here. here. Very, very cold England (laughs) to a beautiful sunny day. In, uh, in Kuala Lumpur so um, the contrast is um, is exceptional as you can probably imagine but it's always nice to come back here I saw David James and Ramon Vega on the television last night so I don't know whether they're still here but um, of course when you land you always see some um, familiar faces don't you? Okay first up let's talk about the World Cup let's get that out of the way we have our finalists it's France versus Argentina France of course are the uh, defending champions they're through after breaking millions of hearts with a 2-0 win over Morocco Uh, they will take on Argentina who defeated uh, Croatia 3-0 a lot will be at stake here guys both for France and Argentina right? Yeah, um, I think two good teams. The way f- uh, the way Argentina started the tournament, they were very disappointing against Saudi Arabia. So mm-hmm. you would never think that they that team would have got to the final, but they have done. France have always been quite impressive, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, Benzema's fitting well. Whether he's going to come back and make an appearance uh, on the substitutes bench is the big question, I think, for anybody. Uh, but he has been training with Real Madrid. He's still on the list of French players, so conceivably he could come back and join the team. Uh, but yeah. And of course, you've got the added aspects of having Leo Messi against Kylian Mbappe, you know, friends, teammates, but also, you know, the heir to the throne of who's going to be the best player in the world mm-hmm. when um, when Lionel and Cristiano hang their boots up. Right. Okay. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic said that um, you know the stars are aligned for Messi to lift it with Argentina. Okay. Uh, for me, that's my pick. I mean, who am I to argue with Zlatan? Uh, what about you guys? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that. Uh well, when Zlatan says it, obviously, that's like 90% accurate, you know? But at the same Zlatan time... Zlatan says a lot, though, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, Zlatan says a lot. you got to filter it out. Yeah. yeah, we're not exactly sure. At the same time, you've got um, France with Mbappe. So, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's really tough to call. It's not just for the sake of the title. It's the sake for bragging rights as well. Like, who's the best 
footballer of all time. Obviously, Ronaldo's out of the question now, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, still taking a dig at Ronaldo, I see. Um, yeah, but I think the stars are aligned, right, for for Messi to get this World Cup title. I think his his first ever World Cup title, and arguably, he, after if if he wins it, if Argentina wins it, this could be cementing himself as one of the the greatest player of all time. So. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a great match. But I'm not willing to write off France though. Because mm. they've been, like Steve said, they've been playing really, really well. Mbappe, who, who knew Giroud could be the top scorer for France, right? And Griezmann, although he's not scoring goals, I think he's, 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 doing, he's his doing his best. job. He's yeah. playing well, yeah. Now, let's talk about Morocco for a bit. I mean, they've won everybody's hearts. Uh, Neutrals and maybe some some of the more biased supporters alike. Uh, famously, in the semi-finals, uh, they were hit with last-minute injuries uh, before the game. Do you think the result would have been different if they had everybody fit? Well, to be honest, if France have a, if France has everybody fit, they probably would have won the game anyway. So, mm. I mean, injuries are part of a World Cup structure. When you play that many games in you know such a short space of time, you do have injuries. That's why you have squads, and generally the best people with the best squads, you know, w- win it. The fact that Benzema was out, the fact that Nkunku was out, didn't he? Lucas Hernandez got injured in the first game. They didn't have the opportunity to pick Pogba or Golo Kante. But this is not the, the strongest French team. But yes, of course, it doesn't. Help, especially a team like Morocco, when they depend on their more senior players, their more experienced players, more so than France did. But unfortunately, that's just that is the further you go in a tournament, the more you have to utilize your squad, and the squad gets weaker. That's just natural, unfortunately, for Morocco. But I thought they were incredible, they showed an incredible heart, desire, fight, and um, they mightn't have been the most expansive team, the best on the eye. But for a team like that to achieve what they did, I think is um, you know speaks volumes for some of the players, and there's certainly some superstar players that we're going to see uh, in the Premier League coming up because they've done themselves a world of good, and they've mm-hmm. suddenly highlighted themselves on a global scale, which will help them um, you know professionally themselves. Mm-hmm. So are Morocco the favourites uh, to claim third? I th- you know I think it all depends on who plays. You know is Modric going to play? <sighs> Are they going to play Guardiola? Are they going to play? Are they going to play Kovacic, or are they going to give the rest of their squad an opportunity to say, "I've played in the World Cup"? You know, there must be ten players in the England in the England camp this year who didn't play in the World Cup, which is disappointing because you'd like everybody to go over there and take part in some aspects so that you can say, "I've played in the World Cup." I've played in the World Cup. So I don't know how the managers are going to take it. For me, the third place playoff game is. Is nothing. I must admit, it's nothing for me. Whether you mm. finish third or fourth, as far as I'm concerned, you've lost. Um, so it all depends on how the managers want to perceive this game. Maybe Morocco, because of their situation, uh, and not are probably taking it more keenly than than Croatia would be, because Croatia, of course, mm. were in the final four years ago, and and etc. etc. Yeah, but and and you mentioned as well, Faisal, how they've won millions of hearts, right? So they've got this whole new legion of of new supporters, and so for once, like you said, normally the World Cup third fourth match, nobody really watches it, right? But now suddenly there's a team that everyone's rooting for, so hopefully they'll they'll be a bit more interest in it. Yeah. I, 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 for one, am actually looking forward to watching yeah. it and I've never I, watched the third place match I, I, the World Cup I know Cup what before. you mean. I said, I said to, to Gavin before, what was, the, what was the third, fourth place playoff you know, last, the last time? Yeah. And of mm-hmm. course it was England, but I never watched the game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. they lost again to Belgium. 
But nobody watched it. Nobody was interested in, in, in that game. Oh, you finished third or you finished fourth. The fact that there was so much severe disappointment when you lost in the semi-finals meant that was it. The tournament was officially over. But I think you're right. I think for Morocco, it's a different scenario. They can elevate themselves to third in the World Cup, which means a lot more than it probably does to whether Croatia, Croatia get there. Mm. You know, apart from the four uh, semi-finalists, right, which team impressed you the most and which was the most disappointing? Well, the most disappointing, I think, would be be quite easy, actually. I think it would be someone like Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily Germany. I thought Germany at times played well. They just got caught out, you know, with, with silly bits of, of football. You know, they played well in the first game. To, uh, I think they lost at Japan, didn't they? They played well for the majority of the game, but somehow they lost the game, which is very un-German-like, mm-hmm. where I just thought Belgium were downright disappointing. Mm-hmm. They seem to be a lot of in-house fighting. There seems to be a lot of moaning within the camp. And I don't like that. Personally, mm-hmm. I don't like that. If you've, got your, if you've got your grievances, wait. Get the tournament finished with. I don't like it when things start slipping out in mm-hmm. between and people blaming each other. And with the plethora of people that they had and the quality that they had, um, they were really disappointing. Okay. Um, so out of all these other teams, right, do you see any of them doing well for the next one? I think England should do well. Uh, and I say that um, even though I've been disappointed even you know, with four years ago, with two years ago when they got to the final, I felt they should have been a bit more adventurous, particularly against mm-hmm. Denmark and then Italy in the final. I thought they played well this tournament, but you know, we have to be a bit more nasty. We have to go and win these type of games. So England will improve. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. France need to find, you know, a proper, excuse me, uh, Spain need to find a couple of players to add. Yes, they play really good football. They keep the ball well, but they don't, they haven't got a centre forward. Mm-hmm. They haven't had a, centre, a real good centre forward for a while. No disrespect to the players that play, but they're not proper top class um, centre forwards. The fact that they were playing Rodri, who's a magnificent centre midfielder at centre back, shows they've got problems there. Um, so that, you know Germany should improve because you know they they've they've certainly got the players, the likes of Gundogan and mm-hmm. Musial and Kimmich, who can carry on playing. Um, but. You know, and they're, they're going to hold it, aren't they, in a couple of years? But yeah, these, these type of teams should improve. You know, Belgium will have to go back to the drawing boards a bit. France will still be there, of course, because Killian's young and, you know, they'll, they'll, they've got more players coming through. When you see when you see the bench they have and they've got Kingsley Coleman on the bench and players like that who, who can excite, I still think they'll be good in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what do you think about teams from Africa, from Asia? I mean, I mean Japan, they, they won against Germany and against mm. Spain. Um, Korean made it to the last 16 mm. and and uh, again Morocco so what do you think that this upsets upsets that's happened that ha- that has happened in the, in this world cup uh, to mention to add that Saudi Arabia beat in Argentina right uh, are these underdogs catching up with all these big teams or is is it just a blip I think you will get in big competitions uh, results like that um, I hope they are catching up I I really I, I mean that sincerely because we've had World Cups where Cameroon did well and mm-hmm. you know we had World Cups where Japan have done well and etc, etc. Et so you always get these stories and this year it's Morocco. Um, of course, Senegal didn't have Sadio Mane, which was a big blow. Next World Cup will be different. There's more spaces for them and I think that added competition mm-hmm. and added more added games will help them. But there's certainly a better infrastructure in these countries. There's more... 
there's more finances to help them develop I think the facilities are getting better so I sincerely hope they are catching up with um, with with the European and the South American teams I think it'll it just adds to a better World Cup you know Iran doing well at games even Costa Rica coming back from the the 7 uh, defeat to play well I hope these teams keep on improving because they're the teams who, who have got a lot of improvement to make and they could make strides very quickly. I think it's hard for the European teams to improve a lot where it's, it's, it's more easy for the lesser teams to improve. So let's hope so. Right, let's go back to uh, England for a while. Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of question marks about Gareth Southgate. Yes. Will he stay? Will he go? Um, should he stay? I don't mind him staying to be very honest he's got mm. two years left hasn't he in his, on his contract and he's got the European Championships and I think the team at this moment in time are in a good place I think that squad that we've had I don't think there'll be many players who will be missing in a couple of years and they could add a few more players but you'll get the likes of Bellingham you'll get the likes of Foden, Saka all with two more years experience uh, he seems to be uh, a very good man manager he seems to get mm. on with the players I think the players like him the FA like him he's a safe pair of hands it's just entirely whether Gareth wants to stay on mm. or whether he wants a managerial job a day to day managerial job he feels as if he wants to manage in the Premier League or the Championship or whatever mm -hmm. because of course we know that managing England when you get together every month or every three months is completely mm -hmm. different than, than a day-to-day -day job and I think, the, I think he's already said the Nation League games in the summer he took a lot of criticism for those games when they lost even though everybody knows those Nation League games are you know <laughs> just a bit of a joke yeah, overrated <laughs> overrated friend. nobody knows what they are who they, what you need to do what <laughs> if you qualify for the next group if you get relegated no one knows and actually nobody really cares yeah. you've listened to our podcast before haven't you I, no, <laughs> and he, he took a lot of criticism very unfairly and he probably thinks what's the you know what's the point and I sometimes see that maybe you know, mm -hmm. you know get on the beach with the wife and the kids and have a holiday for a couple of weeks and de-stress and then come back and say yes or no but you know it would it, it doesn't bother me at all if he wants mm. to carry on I, I like him as a person and I um you know I'd like I'd like us to win and be a little bit more steely and a little bit more determined and mm. win these type of games that frustrates me but um the way they got knocked out the other day to a, to the French team, I thought they played better than they did against Italy in the final, against Denmark mm. in the semi-final, against Croatia four years ago and Sweden. I thought it was the best I've seen them in a while. But I'd still, you know, this was their... You know, when you beat Iran and draw at USA and beat Wales and beat Senegal, this was their one, this was their first test of the tournament and we lost. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was disappointing to a certain extent, but I'm fine with Gareth. Right. Well, you, you've brought up the match, right, against, against France. Um, I was watching the match as well and I thought England had the momentum in the second half yeah. especially. And I was, I was wondering why they were playing too patiently, I I, I thought because they, they there was there wasn't enough urgency in their in their performance in the, especially in the second half while they were chasing the game. So, why do you think that was? Um, I have no idea is the answer because normally when you are losing a game, mm -hmm. you know you are chasing the game. That's your that that's your responsibility to go and chase. Of course, Harry Kane missed the penalty. I don't know what happened with the substitutions because yeah. of course Saka mm -hmm. came off mm -hmm. yeah. and I don't know whether he was injured because but he was one of our better players he was one of our best players so I don't know whether he was injured but I would have left him on and I would have just got more forwards on I wouldn't have taken one off and put one on you know I'd have put mm -hmm. I'd taken a midfielder off a defensive midfielder and put a forward on um 
So you know they, that's what that's what Gareth has to to live by. As I said, I don't know whether mm. Saka was injured. I don't know whether Foden was injured to bring on you know Rashford and and the Grealishes that he did. But I certainly would have had all my forwards on at the end of the game, and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing because the game was there. And as you rightly said, England were a much better team in the mm. second half. They were the dominant team. Yep. They just got caught out by, you know, a, a lovely Giroud header with a nice cross by Griezmann, but got caught out by that, and we should have made most of it at the other end. Mm-hmm. Let's step into the TARDIS for a bit, travel into the future and assume that uh, Southgate decides to leave. I mean, there have been a few names mentioned in the press uh, recently. Um, Thomas Tuchel, mm. uh, even Steven Gerrard, uh, which I think is very unlikely. And uh, of course, uh, Brendan Rodgers. Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, the guy with a great character and a whole wonderful <laughs> personality. Uh, in the event that... Southgate does leave who do you think would be the best replacement listen I'm like you boys I have no I have no idea I mean Thomas Tuchel of course is it I mean, he's got a hell of a CV but Thomas Thomas, I don't think Thomas Tuchel would take the England job why why on earth would he (laughs) Uh, he probably wants a really good managerial job Um, you know people keep saying Mauricio Pochettino but I don't I don't think an Argentinian could come in and manage manage England um I, in my preference would be an English manager, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, my preference would be an English manager. I think we've got enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Eddie Howe's doing a great job at Newcastle, but I don't think yeah. he'd take the job in a million yeah. million years. I remember I think Frank he, Lampard yeah. could take the job if he wanted to, but I don't think he wants to. Mm-hmm. Stephen probably wants to get back into um, day-to-day management. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it would be a difficult one, to be honest. I remember um, reading that uh, Graham Potter was being eyed up as a manager for the future. Mm. Do you think he'd fit that role? Yes, he would fit that role. But again, he's a young man who wants mm. to probably. Gareth took the job under difficult, well, under circumstances because Sam got sacked. I think if you are in a really good job now and you want to be a Premier League manager, these men that we keep talking about are probably far too young to manage England mm. because I think England's one of those jobs that. You manage in the Premier League for X amount of years and then you sort of start stepping back and you take the England job like it is with a lot of, you know, um, the, the Italian managers or like Deschamps in France. You sort of do your time in, in the day-to-day stuff and then you, you, you start stepping back. So it'd be, it'd be hard. I mean, it'd be, it's a lovely job to have. You get very well paid for the work that you do and they've, England's got a very good team and an exciting team in the future. But I wouldn't know who would want it at this moment in time. You know, as I said, you mentioned Tuchel, you mentioned Poch, but I think they want to get back into sort of proper mm-hmm. management. And that's going to be a problem for England, right? If if Southgate decides that he wants to step yeah, down. Yeah, probably, it probably will be. There'll be a, a plethora of names. There'll be plenty of names. But as you, as you said, it's the, it's the right name. It's all right mm-hmm. saying, oh, he's, he's great and we've got him and we've got him. But they actually want to say, yeah, I'm interested in that job. And I, I don't think there will be a lot of people or a lot of the right people that we, uh, that we consider at the moment in time. All right, so that wraps up the uh, World Cup section of the uh, uh, of this podcast. Um, we've got the playoff and the uh, final coming up. Be sure to tune in to those matches live on Astro. Now, Steve, let's talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. <laughs> if any fans are wondering, he smells like fine Corinthian I, leather. I do, I do. <laughs> First up, right, how often do uh, people mistake you for Steve McMahon? I'm only asking this. Okay. Right, because um, a former colleague of ours was uh, interviewing uh, Sir Bobby Charlton on air, right? And 
in that broadcast, he uh, said uh, Bobby Robson instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And he never lived that down. Yeah, yeah. So I don't get recognised for him visually, but certainly when people mention your name, um, I have been called Steve McMahon at times, definitely, because it's easier to say McMahon, than yeah. Steve McMahon. Absolutely. So I have been called Steve McMahon on a number of occasions. And... Um, you know, I know Steve McMahon and I, I see him around, um, but but we don't get mistaken for each other if that if that <laughs> if that makes sense. Our um, uh, but our, our names certainly have been mixed up on a number of occasions, particularly if we um, if we go to different countries and we're together, or we go to different countries and we're part of a team. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you are part of the uh, Liverpool youth setup, and uh, you earned your place in the first team. Who was the biggest uh, influence on your? Uh, who was your biggest influence during your play, uh, playing days? Uh, at the club? Or at the club. At the club, it would have been someone like uh, Roy Evans and Ronnie Moran, who were coaches at the time. Um, excuse me, they effectively occupied every single job at Liverpool back in the days from the mm. 70s to the 80s to the 90s, from kit men to physios to doctors to you know um, the coaches. And then, of course, Roy Evans eventually became manager. So they were there constantly from when I was 14, 15, when I was a schoolboy, and when I joined Liverpool at 16, they were the constant figures throughout my whole career there. Um, and they, of course, drilled into me certain instructions every single day to help me mm-hmm. uh, improve as a football player. And the fact that they'd been involved in highly successful teams, you know, with Bob Paisley and, and, and um, even with Bill Shankly at times, but certainly Paisley and Joe Fagan and then, of course, Kenny... Uh, whatever they said was 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 gold dust really. So I tried to uh, absorb as much as I, as much information as I as I could, and um, they were certainly the biggest influences on me. I was I was speaking to Roy Evans two days ago at David Johnson, uh, the ex Liverpool players, his, at his funeral, mm-hmm. and it was really nice to see Evo again, and you know Kenny Zalgiris was there, and Alan Hansen. It was really nice to bump into a lot of the old players and and see how they all are. How about outside football? Who was the uh, biggest Easy, figure? my father. My father would um, try and get to every single football match I played it at, even when I was, uh, you know, in school, schoolboy level. Um, you know, we didn't have a car when I was young. We couldn't afford anything like that. And he would suddenly appear wherever I was playing, whether it be London, whether it be in Wales, whether it be, you know, in the north of England. He would appear at the side of the pitch every time I was set to walk out onto that pitch. I don't know how he got there, but he got there mm. to support me. And um he would he would that's an easy question. He would be my biggest influence by by far. And he knew he knew about football. He knew how to read a football game. He knew all my pluses, he knew all my faults. And um you know when he mentioned it to him to me, you know, I wholeheartedly agreed with everything he said because I knew that myself. Mm. Now, in his book, uh, Robbie Fowler said that uh, the late uh, Gerard Houllier actually had a rule that banned laughing at the training ground. Was mm. that actually true? I think it was true um, <laughs> by when we went out to train. Mm. I think Evo Roy Evans left in something like the October or the November, forgive me if, if my dates are wrong, and then Gerard took over, and I left that year. Mm. Um, so I think it was once we went out to train, once you were out on the training ground, stretching, warming up, et cetera, et cetera, that then there was no shouting and no messing around, no laughing or joking. You know, I think once you mm-hmm. finished and went to the, you know, went and had something to eat and got changed, you know, of course everybody was allowed to laugh. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to dispute Robbie's book. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there was many untruths in that book. But I think um I think I think part of the story is true. I think Gerard yeah. didn't like you um laughing during the training mm -hmm. itself, but afterwards of course it was fine. Right. Uh, you left Liverpool for Real Madrid. Uh, was it tough for you to adapt to a whole yes. new country culture or what was the biggest challenge biggest uh, I mean, besides the language biggest challenge was um, I played my last game for Liverpool uh, my mother passed away the following night mm. um, I left my father who was a big influence on my career as you well know and he just left his he's just lost his life partner so to actually leave the family home was incredibly hard incredibly hard I had a younger brother who was still living with my father he was he found the whole situation very tough, as you would imagine, because he was only 17. Um, so to leave that dynamic where I was a big part of the house uh, after my mother had just passed, that was the biggest, That was the biggest. Um, apart from learning the language, that was the hardest thing, to actually extricate myself to another country, think about everything I had to do to try and be successful in this other country, playing for the team I was joining, and having that weight on, on my mind about what I've, you know, what I've had to leave and how are they and how are they getting on and how are they coping and mm -hmm. trying to get them to come across to Spain and, and stay with me and see me as much as possible. And they, you know, they had to get on with their lives as well. So there was a lot going on at that time. Uh, at Real, you've obviously, you've obviously been uh, through some very intense uh, matches against uh, Barcelona. Uh, what sticks out in your memory and does it involve a pig's head at the <laughs> Camp No? <laughs> <laughs> that certainly involves uh, a, a pig's head and the rest. <laughs> Golf balls, mobile phones, whiskey bottles. I mean, what, mobile phones. Uh, everything, whatever you could throw. Uh, whatever you could put in your pocket, smuggle into the ground and throw onto the pitch was thrown on the pitch. Uh, it was like that a year later as well, where we had to we had to walk off the pitch and the game got suspended. It wasn't even that, you know it wasn't just that year the, the famous pig's head. Once Luis joins us, it was like that every single year. Mm -hmm. I remember going to the stadium once and then we were surrounded by police with um, you know shotguns. I remember all the windows getting smashed by all the Barcelona fans as we all had to get into the middle of the middle of the coach as it as it got to the stadium. You know, I remember scoring a goal in the Champions League semi-final and knocking them out there. So there's loads of different memories. I go back a lot now. I was in Barcelona's grounds recently. So loads of good memories because we were better than them at the time. So it's mm. different if you're worse and they beat us. But actually, it was the other way round. So we were quite fortunate. So... All these memories, including you know Luis, Luis going back and not taking the corners and the you know the um, the cochineo, the pig's head, they're um, you know the fact that you can talk about them twenty years later is incredible, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. yeah. It was surreal. <laughs> it was completely surreal because in England it would nothing like that would ever happen. Mm -hmm. Never ever happen. There'd be uproar if it happened in England, but in Spain it was like oh, he's okay, it's okay. You know, <laughs> let's just take them off the pitch for ten minutes and carry on. <laughs> it's just a normal day. It's just mad. It was just mad. <laughs> Luis was our corner taker, and he couldn't mm -hmm. take the corners because it was too dangerous. Would you say that's the 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 toughest, most competitive derby then? Because because yes. you've played at Liverpool, yes. the Merseyside derby, by, and a, all that. by a country mm -hmm. mile. I mean, I haven't. I'd love to go and see like. Um, uh, Boca Juniors River things like because I believe that is very I mean it's, it's small of course but uh, you know I, I believe it's very very hostile very hostile but as as in you know European games you know Madrid Madrid Barca in front of 100,000 particularly when you throw in the Lewis Figo elements when it happened it was you know the cacophony of noise I mean it was just unheard of it's a uh, it's a brutal game you know it really is 
how much do you think uh, football has changed uh, over the years? I mean, uh, there's, there's been a lot of evolution, right? Yeah. Uh, tactically, with regards to fitness, what do you think has been the biggest change? I think the biggest change has been probably the rules of the game mm -hmm. in, in general. Yes, you may say with sports science, with equipment, with facilities, the players have got a little bit quicker or certainly a little bit fitter. You know, I was very fit when I played and I wouldn't say people are fitter than me now just because mm -hmm. of, of what, you know. So, um, you know, it's still 11 players playing at football against 11 other people. So, of course, positionally, things change with fashion and things like that. But probably the... You know, in, in the 80s, they, you know, the back pass rule, you know, the, where the goalkeepers used to pick it up and bounce it and take the time. That's changed, of course. And then other things changed. And then we get to this point now where, you know, every goal, every decision that could affect a goal is now, you you know, is now looked at by six men in a room and, and, and checked. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing now. There's no necessarily any... Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, not being able to celebrate a goal uh, and waiting for two minutes while it happens. is. <laughs> but at least we know now that after the game, if you go to the pub with your friends, you know that it was given or we know that it was not given or, or whatever the case may be. It sounds like you don't really agree with VAR. I don't agree with certain things of VAR. Mm -hmm. um, I think the handball rule that we've changed every single year is a, a bit of a joke, mm -hmm. to be honest. I really do. I don't know what I I commentate on games in England. I don't know what's handball or what's not handball <laughs> because we see so many discrepancies in what is handball. Um, you know, this this year in the World Cup, we had the you know we had the Japanese against Spain. Did it go over the yeah. line? Did it not? There mm -hmm. didn't seem to be a definitive angle. I don't know why. You know, Harry Kane getting chopped down against France on the on the line by I think he got chopped down by Upper McConnell. We didn't see that angle. It was as if that nobody wanted to show us the angle. <laughs> you know, and at least I think if you're going to do it, you'd have to show the people, exactly, the, yeah. the, the paying public. Look, it wasn't a penalty because of that. Mm -hmm. The ball didn't go out because, as you can clearly see, all of the balls not over the line. There you go. There's the definitive angle. And for some reason, during this World Cup, we haven't we haven't got that. We've got this new fancy dancy, offside biometric, you know, <laughs> which yeah. is nonsense. But some of the others we haven't, and I just think um, we need to clear it up for the for the people because every every country has their own little rules, and yeah. every referee treats certain you know fouls differently. And I get that, and I'm not worried about that. Um, but I just some of the angles this year, it was as if FIFA didn't want to show us. And they have to, they have to clear. You have to clear everything up, otherwise it just leaves questions for people, and that's the wrong type of thing. Otherwise, what's VAR here for? Yeah, exactly. Because VAR was brought on to be objective, right? Uh, yes. Whether it's, it's goal, it's, clear, it's a yes. goal. Yeah, yes. it's a goal. Is or yeah. is it offside? So, I don't think it has done that since it's no. been introduced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a FIFA idea, and we all know how FIFA <laughs> ideas pan out. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. We all know how they how they all pan out or want to pan out. Yeah. Look, the Premier League has gone global and um, it's attracted a lot of these ultra-rich uh, owners, um, individuals, tycoons mm. and even countries, although according to Man City, that is xenophobia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> has this done more harm than good for the, for the league and uh, football in England? Um, no, I don't think so. I think there's always been powerful teams with rich owners. Um, you know, back in the 80s, Liverpool... You know, pays a record fee, I think, for Kenny Dalglish. You know, they were paying, mm. you know, so Liverpool were a powerful team then. And I think there's always been powerful teams. Um, and it, it's, it's 
exactly the same now. It's just that business, you know, the football business has become a lot more. Uh, you can invest, and they they think it's an investment opportunity. Now that's I think that's where it's differed from the past. You know, we had Jack Walker suddenly come into into Blackburn and take them to the title, which is cool and. You know that wouldn't happen nowadays, of course, because we've got, we've now got FFP to stop all the young <laughs> all the younger teams getting. You know, which is bananas again, which it protects the bigger teams. So um, there's certain rules to stop to stop that, but there was always richer teams and strong teams, and I don't think it's changed. I just think now people view certainly teams in the Premier League, the Premier League, as investment opportunities now, mm-hmm. where. 40 years ago that was never the case it was a you loved the team it was your hobby you wanted to invest in the team you lost money in the team where now it's because of the global markets it's suddenly become right we can take this team worth x amount and it's now valued five times more and i think that's where maybe it takes it away from the average fan because mm-hmm. the average fans see it now as these only want to make money off us rather than they they don't want to invest in the team kid perfect because uh, now we're going to talk about uh, Liverpool's uh, current owners mm. uh, been a lot of talk they're either selling or they're selling a stake yes. in it um, and the current league position right now yep. uh, what do you think about all of this uh, where are Liverpool headed currently I think they'll improve second part of the season it's very disappointing that Luis Diaz has been injured again but I think um, I think they'll be alright in the second half they'll climb back up the table uh, I don't know what the owners are going to do I think if somebody, I think they were always, I think they've always indicated that they're more than happy for people to invest in the club and take a minority shareholding. I think that's always been the case mm. because they did it a while ago, didn't they, with Redbird? Uh, whether somebody wants to speak to them and wants to buy the whole lot, lock stock, I think if you pay enough money, it'll be for sale, like most things are. But the fact that it's gone quiet, I, I probably think that they'll. They'll probably just take a minority share and buy another, buy another franchise and try and grow, grow their franchise base rather than mm-hmm. sell one of their main assets. Because let's be honest, they bought it for X and it's now worth ten times more, isn't it? So this mm-hmm. is probably the greatest, um, mm-hmm. the greatest asset they've got. Mm. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they took an investment. It wouldn't surprise me if they bought another franchise somewhere, mm-hmm. and in ten years' time they. You know, have ten teams that they then want to sell. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but you know, um, we'll wait and see. Yeah, ideally, they take the investment f- uh, and invest in Bellingham. Please, God, let that happen. I think that, to be honest, I think they have the money for Bellingham, mm. but it was always going to be next year rather than this year because he, he wasn't available this year. Mm. It was as Do simple you think as that. He's the best bet. Do you think Liverpool's the best bet for Bellingham? Uh, no, because it all depends on what happens from now to the end of the season. It all depends on how much people value him at. It all depends mm. on a lot of things. You know, is he worth 150 million pounds? You know, for a sense, for a, is, is anyone worth 150 well, exactly. million pounds? And that's yeah. what you have. That's what you have to. That's what you have to judge. You know, Liverpool, where it's based in Anfield, which is of course one of the poorest cities in um, or poorest areas, excuse me, in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, to outlay 150 million pounds and then another 50 million pounds on his wages, it's a lot of money. And it's whether you can justify that in this current climate or whether someone like Manchester City or Real Madrid, who are financially, who've got more finances available than certainly than Liverpool have, whether he fancies going to them because they will probably offer more. They will probably be able to offer more. Um, But it's whether Jude suddenly says, no, I want to come back to England and I want to play for Liverpool. 
Um, a lot might depend on where Liverpool finish at the end of the season, whether in the Champions League, etc., etc. So lots of moving parts. But you can see that if Real Madrid come for him and he fancies playing there, what you know, Real Madrid have got a new stadium on the horizon. They've got a huge amount of money in reserve that they can buy players with. You know, they've got Chiuamani, they've got Camavinga, they've got Fede Valverde, all to replace this Kroos, Modric, Casemiro midfield. So you could see where he'd fit in. Of course, they want Mbappe if he comes available again. Um, so it all depends on it all depends on a lot of factors. But I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd love Liverpool to have him. He's a fantastic player and he's, he's still only a baby. So you've got, you know, you could have him for five years and then sell him to Real Madrid if you wanted to, which, you know, Real Madrid are adept at. But Real Madrid have just bought Hendrik, haven't they? Or I think it's just yeah. been announced in Brazil. Yeah. So again, I don't, I don't know. I'd love Liverpool to get him. I think he's got a close affinity with Liverpool. I, well, I hope so. He seems to get on with uh, Jordan Henderson well. And Trent. So I'd, yeah, so I'd love, I'd love him to, to come to Liverpool. I really would. He'd improve the team, he'd improve the squad, and that's all you can do. I just don't know. You know, Liverpool's relationship with Dortmund is good. I just don't know a thousand other mm. things like, like yourselves. Um, as much as I know probably more than a lot of people, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with Jude Bellingham next, next summer, unfortunately. Okay. Before we go off, right, I had this really dumb idea this morning. Um, I want to play a game. I'm going to give you a list of the stupidest things that FIFA have suggested. <laughs> okay. Some are real. Yeah. Some are just made up. All right. Okay. If you, okay, if you win, you'll get one ringgit. Oh, God. <laughs> a big okay. cash prize. It's about 20p. It's not bribery, is it? You can't do that when we, when we talk about FIFA. You can't do anything like that. First one, uh, Steve. Women wearing tighter jerseys and uh, shorts to make the game more uh, attractive to viewers. <laughs> well, that has to be false, surely. Oh, that's true. Is it? <laughs> it to make it more attractive to viewers? Yeah. So not watching the football, uh, what they do with the ball, but wearing tight Kind of like clothes. beach volleyball. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Yeah, that was Sepp Blatter. Surprise me. Oh, that was Sepp, was it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for that. You don't. You don't seem surprised. No, no. Now, now it's Sepp. I thought it was Yarny. I thought, like, surely not. Okay, that was Sepp. Okay. Okay. Uh, matches played in four quarters instead of two halves. <laughs> well, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest either. But I'd have to say false. Surely. No, it was Sepp again. Sepp again. <laughs> that, yeah, that was for the US World for Cup. The US World Cup. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Um, get rid of the offside rule. No, surely not. That was true. But that, that was Sepp as well. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not let's not call it football anymore. Let's call it something completely different. Sepp ball. Sepp ball, yeah. Yeah. Uh, make goalposts larger. Make goalposts larger. What? For both for both for men and women. For both men so and women. That had to be false. <laughs> that was Sepp as well. That was Sepp, yeah. More goals, more entertainment. <laughs> All right, uh, mixed gender games uh, to help popularise uh, both men and women's football. Um, like professional games or just... Professional games. No, that has to be true. Yeah, that's false. correct. That has to be false. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, three yellow cards before ascending off... Uh, Again, to make matches more interesting. Pro that probably was true, but it's, again, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous, so ridiculous, yeah. I made that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it wouldn't surprise you. Graham Paul gave out three yellow cards. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. You've I won a ring. Well, just, I, got, yeah. I thought I got most of them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's the effort that counts. It's the, yeah. that counts. It's the thought that counts, yeah. yeah. I didn't think about all these things. <laughs> kind of like our podcast. <laughs> it's our effort that counts, uh, instead of the hard work that... I only do. <laughs>
Before we wrap things up, um, is there anything else you'd like to uh, say to our audience? Um, not much. Great if they're listening. Great whoever's listening. It's lovely to be here. I always adore coming to uh, to Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, and, and meeting you guys. And and um, keep watching football, whatever it is. Keep watching the EPL. Keep watching La Liga, whatever you fancy. And um, get out and play. Get out with your friends. Have a bit of respect for people who play the game. Enjoy it and have a smile on your face. Couldn't have said it better myself. I definitely couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, ra that wraps it up for this episode of the Potball Sports Guy. Surprisingly, we were all well behaved. Mm. Not descend from that as well usual. But before we go, I just want to say that uh, we should all treat each other with uh, love, kindness, and respect. It doesn't cost anything. So let's just do it, shall we? I am Faisal American. I am Karami Kamil. I'm Nicholas John. I am Mivzal Malik. And I'm Stevie McManaman. Cheers, boys. <laughs>